Welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Matthew Penny has exactly one hour and three minutes before he is booted from his office of work. Penny, what's going on, man? That was good. Warm weather outside. We had playoff basketball, Celtics later tonight, and uh, we had a combine list. The draft's getting closer. We had combine in under a week. Exciting things on the table for us. It's it's beautiful. So yeah. our order of operations today, we're going to talk a little bit about Giannis because Penny has Boston fan takes on Giannis. We're going to talk a little <laughs> bit about uh, the MVP race and the idea of bigs in the MVP race and what it means for the draft particularly. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the NBA draft combine because the NBA draft combine list was released uh, yesterday in the evening U.S. time. And I have takes like I'm... Uh, I, I'm calling for systemic change <laughs> to the combine. Uh, Vote. We, hit re- we hit record because you started like the systemic change, but let's just get it on the air. Let's let's, let's yeah. do it together yes. with everybody. Okay, so let's jump in. Penny is obviously from Boston, mm-hmm. and I, I I'm hesitant to give you the floor on this one. I, I I have some concerns on where this is going to go, Fair. but. Uh, Giannis has become very difficult to defend and very difficult to officiate over the course of his career. And I do think that as he's become even more dominant, so this year, which I think is arguably his best year, even though he's not going to win MVP this year and has not won MVP, it seems like. I would say that I thought this was probably the best I've seen him all told. I'm... It's hard because, like, I get how difficult it is to defend him, but I, I and I get how difficult it is to officiate him. It's just that he is so much physically better and stronger and longer and more athletic than everyone that it's it's hard for me to like have too too much sympathy for Boston fans. So, like, please, I, I want <laughs> not, I want takes. Just, give, give, me, give, me, just, give me give me it's not just Boston fans and. We're going to talk Giannis. We're going to talk Jokic. Both unbelievable players. Let's start there, right? And, and this, yeah. yes, it's coming for me from Boston fan because we're about to play Game Five. We've we've watched this four straight games of Giannis, and he's six foot eleven. They list him at two hundred and forty pounds, which I think might be low. And if he's two forty, like it's one percent body fat, which is possible yeah. because he's absolutely carved out of granite and Alien. A, a, a nice draft developmental story that he was two hundred pounds. Now he's two forty. You can get there. A guy that big, and and part of what you talked about him having his best season, his handle seems tighter than it was in yeah. the past. It's a lot more developed. Not that he didn't have it, but it's like the next step, the next level. The and jumper's the, a little bit better, too, off of the pull-up. A, a little well. bit, but like, like the three-point stuff, like give him space. He's four for 28 from yeah. three or something like that. He missed a few in the fourth. could have been a little different. But my point is when he gets that step, when he gets ahead of steam, he's a locomotive. And then he throws himself – into the lane, creates contact, and he is so strong that generally he still gets up a shot attempt too. Like some guys will yeah. throw himself in there, the flail. It's like, ah, oh, where's the whistle? He throws it up there, and like it's hitting the rim or it's going in, so it might be an and one. And then the whistle blows. And there's that like split-second hesitation as to whether it's an offensive or defensive foul, and everyone kind of turns to the ref, and they're like, that is a charge this time. So I, I don't even know anymore what the call is going to be. It feels like... Do you remember three years ago or so in the NFL when they brought back more of those like replays to review catches? 
my yeah. hit rate on those was about 30%. I don't know what a catch and <laughs> not a catch is anymore. So I don't know what a charge versus a block is. And there's nothing that Giannis can do because he is so incredibly hard yeah. to uh, officiate. And I, I, I'm a homer. I'll be the first to tell you that. I, I do have some Tommy Heinsohn in my blood. And I know stars are going to get whistles too. He has a superstar thing, which he earned. And then the borderline calls every time. It's a it's a hard combo. But there's times when I see him, and it's like the Chappelle show skit where he's like going down the lane and like, you know, Chappelle's in the club, and like pushes that girl's like face out of the way. I feel like he does that with the off arm and then extends. It's like, yeah, yeah, let's take some free throws. Like, what? Why, why is he taking free throws? Like, he's clearing off his off arm. He's killing out Horford. He's doing this. So I'm happy the Celtics have won. But it, it's just I don't know what the, the change is in the officiating. He's going to get to the line. But how do we, like, separate or differentiate what's a foul versus, like, you're just throwing your body into everyone? So I, I think that the NBA is a little bit easier to officiate than college is because they have the arc that is extended. Sure. Like the, the arc yep. is further out, which, you know, it, it's just harder to essentially be that far away from the basket and draw charge. Uh, the thing is that with Giannis, because he's so long, you almost – have to start out there before he takes off, which leads to this, I think, which is where like the normal arc almost doesn't apply for him weirdly (laughs) on charges because he's taking off from farther than any person I think I've ever seen in the NBA. Um, It was funny. Like, so I've been doing this NBA tip off show through tab, the betting company over here in Australia with Chris Anstey. And I brought up the idea to Chris yesterday that I think Giannis is the most dominant physical force we've seen in the NBA since Shaq. Uh, he brought yeah. up LeBron. Like, he, you know, I was like, you know what? Like LeBron, yes, I, I don't disagree, I guess, because like I'm never going to like disagree when anyone brings up LeBron as being the best of something. Right. But LeBron was different because LeBron was so cerebral. And it's not that Giannis isn't cerebral. But LeBron is probably one of the like five to ten smartest basketball players that's ever lived. And Giannis is getting by more with through like sheer physical force, right? And it feels like those early two thousands Shaq teams to me. Don't you don't you think? Like Shaq is just battling and trying to establish position every single time down the court with those early two thousands Lakers teams. And he's clearing out and he's moving guys because he's so much stronger than they are. When Giannis gets ahead of steam, it's the same thing. I, I, you know, we've brought up the name Shaq in regard to Giannis before on this podcast. I think this playoffs, it's even more pronounced that that's the, that's the comparison point here. It's Shaquille O'Neal, I think. Which is incredibly difficult too, because with Shaq just establishing position, he was so big and strong where a normal post player will make that first bump, first contact, and you're thrown back a little bit, right? And that's how you get the yeah. catch, they recover. Shaq would do that, and the guy would go to the other side of the paint. It's the same thing right. with Giannis. I mean, even the, the amount of space he covers with the Eurostep, it, it's a joke. When the Celtics take a three, and he's at the Celtics, say, like free throw line, right? And mm-hmm. college coaches call it turnovers for touchdowns. When you take a bad shot, ends up to leak out. His turnovers for yep. touchdowns, it's like he catches it and starts going by half court. When he has the ball, you better have three guys in the paint or somebody yeah. trying to, and earmuffs to our friend Coach Spins, take foul or something to slow him down. There's no other way to do it. I mean, there was times when people like dragging his arms. It's like a cartoon where he's like pulling to the rim with him and still getting a shot off. So 
I don't know the kind of tweak and it's Celtics were, were able to neutralize it and Al Horford played out of his mind. And I actually think Boston did a good job with it. How early in game four, Robert Williams is out. And one of my friends texted me and said, this is a Giannis layup line. There's, there's nobody there in the middle to stop him. Like, what are we going to do? Yeah. And the Celtics adjust a little bit. They change some of the coverage. They end up going small with like four guard wings and then Al Horford and Horford's a vet. He manipulated a little bit, but again, you, you still don't know what you're going to get. And you rely on the whistle a little bit too much. And the Celtics built enough of a cushion after they clawed their way back. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's Shaq. It's Giannis. I, I don't, it, it's one of these, like in a good sense. I mean, it's absolutely like the best way, like freaks of nature thing. And it's fun to watch, but when you're on the opposing side of it, you don't know how it's kind of like net out at the end either. And I brought this up with James on the last podcast that we recorded. I'll be honest. I really think that if the Bucs had Chris Middleton, this might have been like a five-game series. Oh, we went in six. It, it's different. Maybe. But, and then the, the kind of speaks to roster construction because in the first quarter – and that's why games change so much. Like we go on the pod saying like, pay, we didn't say this, but Grant Williams is great. Pay him $25 million a year. He's the best. And then he's just like, whatever. He was just back out there. And, and when Robert Williams went down, we said, okay, this is time for the Grant Williams game. No, the Grant Williams game is when you didn't necessarily need him. And he, he rose up for the Bucks. Well, Grant was really good in the first part of that game four as well. Yeah. He missed some coverages. He got blown by. They're pointing fingers a lot. Marcus Smart got on him. Yeah. But with Milwaukee, that was, this is the second half. He he had to come out in the second half. He, yeah. yeah, it was not great. Yeah. With Milwaukee, when they have their shooters in the corners and Giannis is driving and everyone collapses and he can hit. Oh, Wesley Matthews all of a sudden is like an MVP candidate. Like, yeah, hit this, yeah. hit Grayson Allen, hit this. Here, Pat Connaughton. So I'm banging the table, being like, "This is how you, this is how you develop a team. This is this is how you build it." Giannis is in the middle, of this heliocentric prospect as people like to overuse, and then you have shooters out there. But when the shots stop falling and they're feeding Giannis more to go downhill and the Celtics like adjusted to it, that's when they started like nipping away at it too. Well, this is, I mean, look, these are, I think these are the two best teams in the East. I think there's a real case. These are the two best teams in the NBA that we're watching right now, Milwaukee and Boston. Uh, Like I, I genuinely believe that. Think about the way that, Boston has the ability to match up with Giannis. They have six guys that they can throw at Giannis. Most teams have two. Like most teams are lucky to have two because you can throw Robert Williams, Al Horford, healthy, yep. uh, Grant Williams, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart on him for stretches, right? Like I'm not saying that you can guard him full time with all these guys, but you can throw those guys on him for stretches. How many guys does Miami have that they can throw on him? They have Bam. They have Jimmy that you could throw on him for stretches. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Maybe, maybe Marquise Morris. Like I, I wouldn't waiting, feel great about that. I was waiting for you to say like, Daniel, Daniel Tice and Tice could kind of like run off the court in the game because yeah, you needed like, him. And Celtics have, have shortened their bench too. And, and that's when they went small. We'll talk about that kind of like in the, in the next segment a little bit. When they went small, Marcus Smart was on Lopez because they kind of like had to. Like that's what they gave yeah. up. They lost some special teams points they call them like box out and free throws you got to live with that because they went small to kind of get up and down and counter what milwaukee was doing but boston does have the i guess good nature of, of having more bigs and longer stronger athletic wings that you can put them yeah. on stretches and make it look different and that's what uh i remember the ncaa tournament eric musselman talking about that guarding i think it was teddy allen right about how show like scores different looks send a second guy yeah. 
give them space next time. Next time you're right yep. up in them. So you, you keep them thinking just a little bit. If that split second minimizes the Giannis head of steam, that's a win for the Celtics there too. Yeah, and Boston can give him more varied, different looks than any other team in the NBA. Yeah, uh, think about Philadelphia. Like, who does Philadelphia have that can guard him? Like Tobias Harris. Is that it? Yeah, the, um, they, and Tobias maybe, isn't like a great defender. Like, maybe you go full drop and full, guys and full, spa- full space and just let Embiid like, all right, meet him in the lane. Like, meet, meet, be physical. Give him the few yeah. steps. See if he's going to pull up. Give him all the threes he wants all day, shooting sub thirty percent in the playoffs. That's got to be a little bit of the strategy. But to close the circle on how that would work, that's how you get Joel Embiid in foul trouble. Right. If right. you put a guy on Giannis that can't stay in front of Giannis and you force Joel to rotate over every time, that's how Joel gets in foul trouble. And so, that's I, and that's what the Celtics, when Robert Williams is healthy, we talked about yes. in game one or two when he had five fouls, 10 points, five rebounds, five fouls, but it was great. And, and he earned them and, and made Giannis like exhausted. And then you shuffle yep. the next guy. And then here's Grant Williams and here's Al Horford. So the, the carousel yep. keeps spinning on the defense on Giannis. Yeah, so it's in this kind of transitions into. Do you have anything else you want to talk about with this series particularly? Because I think this transitions nicely into MVP. That's perfect. So all of what we're talking about here is why I would have voted Giannis for MVP this year. Uh, He is still dominating against the best defense in the NBA that has the most varied looks, the most different looks, the best possible alignment to throw at him, and he's still just absolutely dominating in every regard uh Giannis to me is the most consistent dominant force in the NBA and then we talk about his defense he's still he's a great defender like this guy is the best player in the NBA right now like they might not win this series because he and Drew Holiday have to take I think it's like 60 percent of their shots right now uh otherwise they just like can't generate anything because Chris uh Middleton is out like this guy is the best player in the NBA. I don't know why we're arguing about it. It's kind of my thing. Uh, we've now seen it. He led them to a title last year. He's dominating every single night against the number one defense in the NBA. He beat Kevin Durant in the playoffs last year. Like, I, I guess I just don't know what else he has to do. And I know you want to talk <laughs> about bigs in regard to MVP. Yeah, a little bit. But yeah. like this, I, I, I just like, it, it kind of eludes me at this point. Why, why we're talking about anyone else being the best player in the NBA? Well, we'll talk about the MVP winner. Has it been official yet, or are we just like this is? It's not official yet. We haven't seen the votes and how 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 close it was. But for the Joker, for Nikola Jokic, I I, again. So let's start positives. Amazing player, multi-time All Star, MVP. Denver dealt with injuries to Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. He still put up 27, 14, and 8 and carried Denver to a sixth seed, which is unbelievable. The MVP yep. is a is still a regular season award, and that was all well earned. So now if you count Giannis as a five, I don't think I do. Which I do. I don't, for what it's worth. Yeah. If you did, Biggs would have won the last four MVPs, right? Two and two for each. So despite this data, you look at the NBA playoffs now. You look at the remaining teams. How many would you say are big-centric? Philadelphia with Embiid, yes. yes. DeAndre 
Aiton has looked out of sorts at times. He has in this playoffs and is the best probably a in third this series. Right now, so yeah. This series, yeah, right now, playoff basketball, completely different. He was great in for, game five, but yeah. Pick first overall. Bam Adebayo has been good, but it's more the Jimmy Butler show. I mean, we had the, the Max yep. Drew show last game at times. So my kind of question I pose to you is like, does this MVP win sway or, or usher in more at all a belief of bigs higher in the draft? And, and Giannis and Jokic – or is it just they're so anomalous that wings and guards are still going to dominate draft boards? And my transition to this is this is a big or at least front court dominated draft at the top with Paul Bancaro, yeah. which had Holmgren, which Bar Smith Jr. Some people really like Jalen Duran, make case for Mark Williams. Is this the time with all this data and all this history in front of us? Why don't we have Jaden Ivey first? Let's let's take away uh Jabari from this conversation because Jabari is a wing in the way that Giannis is a wing, right? Or a forward or whatever you want to talk about it. Sure. The Jaden Ivey conversation is fascinating and I love it. I'm playing a little bit devil's advocate here too. I want to be very clear. Like I I still have them, but I've just like the, it's been spinning. I've been talking to friends, thinking about it. And I haven't seen like a ton of people having them first. And and I I do want to give credit to like, Simon Rath has him first. I think Jeremy Wu has him second. Like, there's people yeah, out there that have say, him one I know or two. Jeremy has him second. Yeah. Sh- shout out, Jeremy. I think I have him third. I think I'm with you on that one. Yep. Um, I'll give you the reason why I think nobody has him first. It's because he has a difficult combination of a total lack of in-between game right now. Like, mm-hmm. he, he has no mid-range game whatsoever. And that's a huge part of generating shots as a lead guard in the NBA. Um, he can be Russell Westbrook and maybe he like, honestly, like when you watch his tape at Purdue, there are Westbrook moments of like pure athletic dominance. He just like straight up runs around guys. Like someone will be guarding him at the point of attack. And it's just like, zoom, I'm gone. Bye. Like in the half court. And it's like, how the fuck do you guard this guy? But he has a strange combination of no mid-range game whatsoever right now i think he went like eight for 39 on mid-range jumpers this year his floater he has like a weird like combo jumper push shot kind of thing that he's still working on it doesn't look great he needs to work on that and he has all the athletic tools in the world he could figure that out at some point um we can talk about the specifics of that whenever matt and i do the actual scouting report on Jaden when we get closer to the draft um and then the second is the decision-making. So you have this weird combination of no in-between game, no great passing ability in terms of making high-level reads and decisions off the bounce. And I think that that is what gives him some limitations for people. Like, he gets compared to Ja Morant all the time. Think about what Ja had. Ja had the ability to get to that floater game literally whenever he wanted. <clears throat> that was his in-between game. Ja averaged 10 assists per game at Murray State and was the best passer in that draft class. Jaden Ivey's the worst passer than Paulo Bancaro, probably. So Yeah, and Paulo's good, good, though, too. I don't want to discount Paulo. Paulo's a really good passer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, uh, and Paulo's a very, very high-level passer for a 4-5 combo guy. Um, I don't mean that, like, as a slight to Paulo. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if you're going to be a lead guard for your team, you need to be able to get everyone else involved. And I think that's where the holdup is. For people with Jaden, those two things. But I will say this: like 
I think he can develop a floater and I think he can learn to make reasonable passing reads on some level. Like there's the, the way he gets downhill, you can make a case that that is on a level with Chet Holmgren and, and his defense and Jabari Smith's shooting as right. the most translatable skill in this class. Yes, and I, and I love uh, peeking behind the curtain here. Sam and I, we've talked about this a lot. We're in different timelines. So I love waking up to a text from Sam. It's like normal hours for me. It's 6 a.m. My son's yeah. yelling at me <laughs> about like, is Jabari Smith the best shooter of all time? Or am I like, is it is it late yeah. here? Is Chet the best defender we've ever seen? I'm like, dude, I'll talk to you in four hours. Uh, but so if Jabari Smith then, if you're kind of taking him out of that category, we think he's fine. You're yeah, putting, I don't think he's a big. You're putting stock into the handle then developing. Because if he can't take guys off the bounce, he's going to be a pick and pop guy or a dribble handoff guy. He's not going to be a, an ISO Jabari? breaking down off the bounce. Yeah. Oh, no, I think he can generate stepbacks pretty easily. His problem step with backs, his right, is going he can, forward. Right, yeah, sure. Like, like, he can do a sidestep jumper or, or into a catch, one dribble pull-up, but I don't see him as, like, a three, like, pull you on an island, like, he's going to face up, break you down, finish at the rim. He's not there yet. We've seen it, like, a little bit. Yeah. There were a few flashes in that UConn game in Atlantis late where he kind of took over and went, and it's like, ooh, that, that might be something. But it, it's more like I'm trying to poke holes in everybody in that – yeah, of course. We saw Chet versus physicality versus Memphis. It was like, uh, I don't know. Is this like quite it? Jabari shot poorly in the NCAA tournament. Jaden Ivey was was bad in his last game of the tournament. But for an explosive type of guard whose shooting numbers have improved, his passing numbers have improved, if you're taking the the chance on a guy that the NBA playoffs is building around, like those type of players, and unfortunately, John Moran is out, but he was electric when he was playing. I just find it curious that not more people are kind of going to the well for, for Jaden at, at like a higher, he's, he's one or two. Well, if you're, I, I am considering this is the way to put it. Like I am considering the playoffs in this pretty substantially. And I think that if you're considering the playoffs, that's why Jabari is the number one guy, to mm-hmm. be honest, because you look at the way that shot making in defense travels like that combination of skills right jabari smith is maybe i think he is genuinely the best like six foot nine six foot ten plus shooter i've ever evaluated just straight up he is unbelievable shot mechanics are incredible the mechanics match with it is the biggest point yes like like jaron jackson jr yes jaron jackson's another guy that had a case like this Jaron's shot, for instance, I think that you saw at the end of game four, showcased his limitations because Mm -hmm. he's not really a pull-up guy. You can't use him to generate last-second shots on his own in isolation or in dribble handoffs or when he has to pump fake and like sidestep because the release point is so low, which makes it harder for him. Now, he's so big that he's just an elite shooter off the catch. You can run him off of movement, all that stuff, right? Um the difference between him and Jabari is that Jabari can generate that shot at the end of games with his, you know, crossover right to left step back, or he can go dribble, dribble, uh, you know, left hand dribble, spin back to the right and wrong footed rise up and like hit a turnaround jumper over you because he's six foot 10, right? Like that kind of stuff is why I think he's a better shooting prospect than Jaron Jackson. It's he can generate the shot while also shooting 42% from three on six attempts per game or whatever it was like 
he all of the numbers match up and the mechanics are pristine. All of it's perfect, I think. And then you look at the defense. He is a really awesome defender in space. Like he's going to have no problem sliding with guys on the perimeter. He's going to give you a significant marginal advantage at the four because he's six foot 10 and can protect the weak side of the rim. In addition to the fact that he can slide with your point guard and not really have any issues. So you look at the playoffs and the guys that are having success in the playoffs. And we're, I, I think that a big problem on why people f- have forgotten how valuable these big wings who can slide and defend are is that we've been unfortunate to not have Kawhi Mm -hmm. and Paul George in the playoffs. Realistically, we had them last year where we had Paul George last year. I'm sorry. Um, over the last couple of years with Kawhi. And then we did not get Paul George this year in the playoffs. These guys are so valuable. And I know uh, Paul George has, issues in the playoffs sometimes where his shot just like completely, you know, eludes him. But you look at his defense, you look at his ability to generate shots. You look at his switchability. These are the guys you win with in the playoffs. I think like you look at Jason Tatum, how many guys would you, you know, even with the Boston hat on, how many guys left in the playoffs would you take over Jason Tatum right now? Oh, it's less than one hand. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I think there are two. He happens to be playing one of them, to be honest. And I would take Luca. He's the third guy right now, I think. That's a good one. I think I might take Tatum. Okay, let's let's do a draft here. Okay, mini draft. (laughs) Guys left in the playoffs. Oh, God. Number one, I would take Giannis, number one overall, among guys Um, still um, remaining uh, in the playoffs. As I'm playing up the playoffs. We can't – we're a draft show. We can't not have a draft on the draft show. Uh, right, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go, I mean, are we going here or now or like peak? Because peak, yeah, you're right taking, now, you're taking right Sucre. now. Yeah. So I'm, what am I second? So I'm, I'm going Tatum. Yes. Okay. Number three, I'm going Luka Doncic. Yeah. Not, not really even a question for me. Just the way he generates is unbelievable. He's enormous and he's like the best shot generator in the NBA right now. Yeah, and like Memphis is tough because I'd probably say John Moran, but he's hurt. So like I don't know if he like really counts. And I think So Gold- would you take Steph then? Yeah. I I mean I'm I'm looking Steph over I, I can't draft big. I can't draft Bam. I can't do that. I'm not gonna draft Jimmy Butler. But that's that's the point, right? Like here's a big strong wing or a longer wing who can guard yeah. multiple spots and, and create. Uh, oh, sneaky Jalen Brown isn't like a bad one either. Uh, I'm I'm getting very homerish here. Uh, yeah, no, I would definitely not take Jalen Brown over Jimmy Butler. I think that's a crazy yeah. decision. Oh, <laughs> it's like we're doing here and now, but not long term. Uh, yeah, if I'm drafting a team, I draft Steph Curry, obviously for the shooting. But like Golden State has adjusted it as they've gotten older. They've at like they're also an embarrassment of riches where it's like, oh yeah, Jordan Poole's really good. Here's Andrew Wiggins who's an all-star. And yeah, yeah we're gonna start Jonathan Kaminga now and he's gonna like get us some minutes at, at the five. So like that team is like pieced together in a good way, a lot differently than some of these others. Yeah. So are you taking Steph or are you taking Jimmy Butler then? God, I guess Jimmy Butler. Okay. I would take Steph next, I think. Yeah, and then you'd probably take Jalen Brown, right? No, I would take Joel next at that point. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, they're up what? Miami's up 3-2. Miami wins next game. They're up 4-2, and then we're back to our hole again of like, okay, how do you do it with with bigs in the middle that 
you play through them, and then it just changes a little bit in the playoffs. And he can't move, and he can't defend Giannis, and he's pulled out of the perimeter. It's just different. Well, and it's a bummer, too, because we're not getting full Embiid because he has, like, a broken face, and he was concussed <laughs> yeah. by Pascal Siakam. He's like, I don't, know what, I don't know what happened. My face broke. He's like, it's all good. Just my face is broken. Uh, and I yeah, admire that I, well, for, it sucks. for the playoffs. And, and some of these guys, like, you want – you want everyone to be 100%. You want everybody healthy. Injuries stink. You hate it when when he's out. You hate it when the injury report comes out. It's like, hey, Robert Williams is out again. Hey, Luca's playing on a bad wheel again. And you don't want them to rush back, but you'd like to see everybody at full strength when we, when we get to yeah. crunch time here. Yeah. So to get back to our point about the draft here, which we've kind of like, you know, I've I've decided to just take over your point and make a different point. Your show. Um, so – how does this impact the way that we think of bigs at the end of the day? I, I think that it doesn't really. I think these playoffs don't really affect the way that I think about bigs because, I mean, look, they're still valuable in the regular season. The regular season is important to set yourself up for the playoffs. You need to make the playoffs, which is not as easy as you know it looks now, given how deep the league is. The Lakers learned that as well as anybody this year. Um, it's tricky. Like, I, I think that... I think that at the end of the day, you evaluate the best players and you decide who you think has the most all-star potential. And part of this too is like, okay, which of these guys have the most trade value? Um, Bigs, you know, if you hit on the right pick and like Rudy Gobert still has a ton of trade value. So if you end up with a Rudy Gobert type, that's still valuable. If you end up with, you know... Carl Anthony Towns still super valuable, right? So uh, Nikola Vucevic just went for Wendell Carter and two first round picks. Yeah. So you're still going to win games. It's just a, it's a different deck that you're playing with in the playoffs. And and some of these bigs we're talking about too. Everyone in the NBA is like really good at basketball. It's not really a spoiler. But like Jokic, yeah. like his his passing is is otherworldly. We don't know what position Giannis is because he's kind of just like created one. Like I'm Giannis, I'm, I'm going to do this and, and be everywhere, and you can like adjust yeah. to it. And, and maybe that's what it is. It, it's the bigs that have this really like special different trait. Maybe that's why I undersold the Evan Mobley thing because of the defense. Now, despite his guards being really good, and, and that yeah. kind of helped a lot of it, and Jared Allen protecting too. But I undersold his ability for the defense to translate so quickly at that level. Maybe that's a, a little different, and maybe that's how I have to view. I mean, I have Chet first, so I don't have to change my view on it. But his defense could get there with or without the weight. You hope the offense catches up. And the fun part is, uh, I think we're gonna do what after the lottery, sort of like a semi liveish reaction show. We I are. Don't, yeah. I don't. I don't think that there's not like a board that I have. Like, here's the top five. I think it's very, very team and organization dependent on who wants to win now who's willing to develop and that'll juggle that top of the lottery too well on some level we think of all of these guys as somewhat complementary players like stars like potential all-stars but not the number one option on teams so in that vein like i think you have to consider team fit and what you already have on the roster and everything with like that like there's just no there's no way around it i don't think so um Let's take a quick commercial break and talk about the NBA draft combine because we currently have, what do we got, Penny? 32 minutes? It's like when you show up at the bar, I'll do one drink. Like, I do one more. We're good.
Okay, we are back. Penny, the 2022 NBA Draft Combine list came out yesterday. What was your immediate reaction when you saw the 2022 NBA Draft Combine list, as well as the G League Elite Camp list that came out earlier this week? So I, I felt my immediate reaction to the draft list was, when your kid is in kindergarten and you have to invite your whole class to your birthday party because you don't want to leave anybody out, or maybe more of like the the Oprah, like you get an invite, you get an invite. 40 guys at G League camp and 76 for NBA Combine. If you're not invited to one of those, like I don't really have any answers for it, man, because it just seemed like anybody on anyone's board ever is going to play in the Combine in like some respect. <laughs> Sorry, I, I go on left field. You just got to like – you get an invite. You get an invite. Hey, it wasn't it like crazy though. There's just so many names. Usually there are. It's like here's the snubs or McDonald's All American game. It's like here's the snubs. Ten guys shouldn't have. Were there snubs? Like I, I'm not sure, man. Like we're we're really digging. If you think there's a guy who's like really outed as like should have been there and isn't. Yeah, I'm like literally looking through my um through my big board right now and trying to find if anyone was left off of one of those two lists. Um. I don't I don't think so. Like I would have liked to have seen Jonathan Williams there. Okay. But like that's that's what we're getting down to. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like what number is he? Uh like ninety-six. Ninety-six, <laughs> and you're probably like a little bit higher than most guys, but traditionally in most years, it's like outside there's a standard deviation of what, five, six spots, but outside of seventy, it would be rare. It's like, ooh, that was a, a little bit of a reach for that guy. There feels like in both of them, there's some reaches. Yeah, like I, I can't really complain. Like, is Will Richardson invited to either? Uh, I'll pull that up right now. I'm not Let's sure. See. Is Isaiah? I don't think Isaiah Mosley got invited to. Isaiah Mosley wasn't. Yes, I remember seeing. Yeah, that. like that's another one. Like he probably should be there somewhere. Um, no, Will Richardson. Yeah. Yeah, or maybe you know maybe Isaiah turned down an invite to the G League Elite Camp because it, maybe he is on the G League Elite Camp list. I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, um, I have it. Do not see him. Okay, so maybe he turned it down. Maybe he's like, you know what? Maybe I'm just going to go back to school and yeah. do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there were guys who turned down combine invites, and we'll talk about those two guys later on. But it's it's your time. I'm really excited for this. Take it. Take one more deep breath. I'm ready. Oh, look! I'll tell you what my phone's reaction was to the invite list. Um, there were a lot of agents that were very frustrated with the invite list. And I, it's because of the selection process, I think in a big way, like there are names on the combine list that are just kind of out there. Like I I do not have a top 100 grade on fan Bozang. That that is a wild invite. Um, That that was on my list and and, and his stats just for, I know G league night are, are different. Uh, 13 minutes a game average less than four points per game. I understand that the NBA probably like, you know, may have pushed some things through and, you know, wanted to get the ignite guys there. Right. But like, that's just, that's taking a spot away from someone else. Right. Um, there, there are a couple of other guys here. Like Matthew Mayer is not a guy I have a top 100 grade on. Right. Like I don't, I don't really get it with him. Um, you know, here, here and there, right? Uh, Sharif O'Neal. Has Sharif O'Neal played much basketball over the last couple of years? No, he had really? the, the medical condition. He transferred and didn't play a ton at LSU. Yeah. 
And ho- like, I, I hope the medical condition, like I hope he's healthy. Right. But it's kind of wild that he's invited to the combine, even the G league elite camp. Right. So it's the selection process here is not great in my opinion. And I think we need change with the selection process. Currently the way it works is that teams vote for the guys that they should, they think should be invited to the combine. Now, in theory, you might be thinking, oh, yeah, that makes sense, right? Like, the teams are going to be the ones drafting and evaluating these players. Of course, they're the ones that should be voting on this. I, I don't really think that's the case because if there's someone that you think you have a read on that you think like, oh, yeah, this guy's like a way undervalued prospect, right? This this guy is someone that we need to keep to ourselves. You're not going to put them on the list. You're going to be like, oh yeah, this guy's like not, why would we get, why would we allow other teams to get a look at this guy? The, the incentive structure here for teams who vote on this to keep guys off of the combine list and off of their combine votes. And I want to be clear. It's like 50, 50 when I talk to teams about how, secretive they are with this some teams they just list the best guys right other teams play games with this and do gamesmanship and like try to keep guys a little bit secretive if they can because they think they have a read on a guy that you know other teams might not and at the end of the day it just hurts the kids like it hurts the players that and it hurts the players that most need the exposure from the NBA draft combine. They most need the chance to go and prove themselves at the NBA draft combine. I mean, this, this combine list is like kind of messy. I think, I I don't think it's very good to be honest. I think there are a lot of messy invites here comparatively from one to the other. And I think a large part of it is that teams are not incentivized to vote for the best players to go to the combine. And that sucks. Like, I, I think that the NBA would do well to commission like an independent panel of some sort, you know, be it with some with people in the internal league office or something like that, that invites players to the combine because and invites players to the G League Elite Camp, because I don't think that the current process for doing it is most fair to the players at the end of the day. Do you think it's a mess then? Do you think we have so many invitations because of this? Do you think there's a byproduct of either not enough feedback or stuff being so spread out? That's why we have an all-time high number of names right now. Yeah, I think that it's a big part of it. I, I think that this year being a mess is probably a big part of it. Like this draft class is a difficult one to evaluate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, across the board. Typically, there are not 76 names invited to the NBA Draft Combine. Typically, it's like, you know, between 65 and 70 to start. And then they bring up some people from the G League Elite Camp or something like that as guys drop out. Which which is great, too, because it's sort of like a reality show. And the NBA did a great job covering it last year, like knocking the hotel door, like, hey, unpack your bags, going to the the real combine. And guys guys did well. Like Aaron Wiggins went and and played well. and, And guys... Did use that platform, but I get well, the, it. Like the I, best one. The best one's Terrence Mann. I, I, I remember I talked like, to the, yeah, 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 yeah. Like I talked to Terrence Mann, and he was like, 
Yeah, like I, I was bummed. I thought I played really well at the G League Elite camp. And then, you know, uh, we have to be out of our hotel room like pretty quick. And I had a flight back to Atlanta and like had to pack up and get ready to go. And then I'm going through security and I see my phone ring with 1%. And it's someone from like New Jersey. And they're just like, hey, get your bags, go back. Like, you got to go. Like, you're invited to the combine. And he was like, yes, great, awesome. <laughs> it's which is amazing because I don't answer that phone call. I'm like, yeah, voicemail, leave me alone. I'm, in, I'm, uh, I'm through security. I need to get something to eat. I want to get a water. Like, I'm not answering that call. Maybe it's different draft season when you're like, it's going to be an agent, it could be a team, it could be somebody trying to get it. I feel like when like, you're an NBA draft prospect and you're waiting <laughs> for a call, you're probably like, yes, yeah, it's like, I'm taking Jersey, this, call. this is weird. <laughs> It was almost like, uh, did you see the the draft lead up video? I think the Rams did, which is like Hollywood style about we stole the draft. Yeah. It, it's almost like unbelievable some of these stories that that come out of it. And maybe also with with the high number, I don't know the communication level between agents and the NBA about, hey, my guy's going to come, he's going to measure, he's going to interview, but he's not going to play because I don't foresee a, a circumstance where we have all these guys playing five on five either. No, 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 no. So yeah, the NBA sends out invites that are, you have to play, you have to do X, Y, and Z. Or or in the case of someone like Chet Holmgren, you know, come measure, do media, et cetera. Right? Yeah. Like that's, that's the, they send out like invites that have certain specifications, kind of. So my, my kind of just to get in the mud a little bit on some of these, I, I like there were some good draft Twitter faves and Vince Williams, Tevin Brown, Marcus Sasser. I thought it was a bad sign for Young Jung Lee and Jordan Hall to be on the G League Ignite. Well, I'm sorry, the G League uh, Elite Camp as opposed to yep. the 76 guys. That means you're really like kind of you can work your way back up boards, but you're going down to see that there. And m- my other kind of commentary is if you're a fringe guy, play five on five. Do it like BJ Boston slid. I would assume who slid, although it worked out for him. Good spot. Uh, Isaiah Todd. I don't think Sharif Cooper played five on five. Like guys want to see you play in this draft. There's there's opportunity for guys to move up. I mean, we've beat our heads against the wall for yeah six months trying to figure out who twenty to forty is. You could be a guy who's sixty and crawl up there. Like you have to play at some yeah. point. Whether it's the you get to the G League, you get to training camp, summer league, NBA. You're gonna have to play at some point. Like. You're, you're kind of at the mercy of who your point guard is and what your team is and, and how you showcase. But I just, my blanket recommendation is play five on five. Yeah, I agree. Um, I have, I'm, I'm trying to pull up a name here. Like I, I have Jabari Walker at 49 okay, okay, right play. now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it'd be beneficial for Jabari Walker to play five on five uh, at the end of the day. I, I also have, you know, just kind of looking through here. Like I've, you know, Jalen Williams from Santa Clara at 25. I think Jalen Williams should play five on five. That one's close. Like that was close. The buzz is building, but that one's really close. There there's nothing. There's no reason for him not to play five on five. Like the whole promise. Deal with That's him, it. Yeah. Unless he has promise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which I don't think he will yet. Um, it, it's, it, it's beneficial to do so. Um, I think I've made my point on the idea of, just the selection process being messy. I don't like the selection process for the combine. I think that we can do better by the players. And then on top of it, like there's politicking that goes on with agencies, right? Like agencies trying to get their guy in, trying to basically whip up votes. Like they're in the Senate for their player. Uh, Rather you know, be whipping up those votes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Um, so it, it's just a, it's not a great process right now. It's just not at the end of the day, we need to do better. Um, the two guys that raised some eyebrows in yeah. terms of not being invited, choosing not to be invited, Chris Murray and Caleb Houston. Mm-hmm. I look, I've, we've seen crazier things. They're, both those guys could have promises. I, I think it's more likely that they don't. But you know, like what, what did what did you see? Because Caleb Houston was the one that people really like raised their eyebrow at. I did um, yeah. What? Where are you at on Caleb Houston as a prospect? I had him I because like, I have him I like 60. in the fifties. Yeah. yeah, I had him like sixty-two or something, and I I think I texted you about about this like a week or two ago, and I was like, where do you have Caleb Houston? Because he declared, I almost like assumed he was just going back to school after the year was such a roller coaster. Had, had good moments, like the shooting came back around late a little bit, and but it was still just like the creation of the shot it took a while to get there. Our teams banking on his FIBA play with, with Canada and, and the tape from the year before in high school, maybe. And maybe a team that has multiple picks says, hey, if we got four of them, we got another one late first, early second, mid-second round there, and, and that's a good place for come in. We'll give you a guaranteed contract. I'm completely making this up. I have no idea if this is true. But come here and develop as opposed to going back to Michigan, and, and who knows. So for him, I thought it felt more promising. For Chris Murray, it felt more like I'm going back to school. And everything I've heard on Chris Murray during the draft process has been rave reviews that he he looks great. Yeah. He's going to be like the breakout guy next year. He played literally in his twin brother's shadow, but has more than what he showed. Is this a, a sequel of, we, we had a conversation a year ago, Luca Garza's out, is Keegan Murray the guy? And I was hesitant. I'm like, eh, I don't know, like there's spurts. Maybe that's what it is for Chris Murray. Could be wrong on both of these, but Caleb Houston felt like promise. Chris Murray felt like going back to school. I just to to give a guy a promise at this point, you probably need to have like a top fifteen grade on him because it, it just limits you. If you promise a guy at let's say, and I, I honestly don't know who has the twenty eighth pick off the top of my head. I'm just saying twenty eighth pick. I'm Everyone not relax. saying it's this specific <laughs> team, right? Yeah. Um. If you have, say, the 28th pick and you're promising Caleb Houston, you're essentially throwing that pick and its flexibility and its potential flexibility from a value perspective away. Like you're drafting Caleb Houston. Great. Like if you really like Caleb Houston, fantastic. But you're losing the ability to trade it. You're losing the ability to move it for something else. You're losing the ability to trade down. You're losing the ability to trade up. Like you're completely giving away all of your potential movement with this pick. And it just seems, I don't know who could have a top 15 grade on Caleb Houston after last year is kind of where I'm at on it. You know, like, so just for tankathon.com, golden state has 20th pick. I hate you so much. <laughs> I hate you so much. Talk while I get mailbag questions. We, we have a great relationship. Uh, no, I I agree with your point and sentiment. I mean, you're you're looking at if it's Oklahoma City. I mean, if they're picking 
and the lottery is next week. But if they have Oklahoma City at 4, 12, and 30, like maybe, I don't know if I would go for a non-first-round promise unless Caleb Houston is completely just ready to to make that leap and, and be a, a full-on pro and get out of the, the NIL word world and, and go into classes. It does feel like a risky proposition. We could be way off. He could be like, hey, no, I, I turned it down because like I'm not going to go through this. I'm going to do this in a year when I when I actually go two feet in. Yeah. To me, it reads more like and look, I, I don't know. Maybe I just don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I've overthought it to the point, or maybe I've underthought it. I don't know. But like I just find it hard to believe that someone could have such a high grade on Caleb Houston after this past season where athletically he did not look yeah. like he looked like a below average athlete by college basketball standards for a wing, um, let alone by NBA standards. And he didn't shoot wildly well. Like his first half of the season was kind of a mess as a shooter. Uh, I, he's six, eight, he moves reasonably well. Like, I guess that, like, if you're looking for a projecty player like that, why would you not take Dalen Terry? Exactly. That's what I mean. It's not. It's not this weird, like, and not that Dalen Terry was a mystery man either, because we saw it when or like the got know, hurt. Ma- but Max that's Christie. like, like but, yeah, right. Like that's kind of the thing where yeah. it's more of a an athlete translatable, and unless someone thinks the kill of Houston shooting, we just saw the bad parts of it. And he, it wasn't set up enough. Yeah. It's the wrong actions possible. Or maybe it's like he maybe he took a promise at like forty five or something like that. I don't. That'd be weird to me. But like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know, man. I it's love. Strange. I actually love this now because I didn't like think too much about it. Now I'm like edge of my seat. Like, where is he going? What is he doing? Because okay. there's a there's Let, a plan. There's a plan. Whatever it is, like there's a plan behind it. Yes, clearly. I think there's definitely a plan. Yeah. Um, okay, we got a great mailbag question to start. Which G League, this is from Jacob Padilla. Shout out to Jacob. Yeah, Jacob too. Which G League elite camp invite, invitees close it. Yep. do you think are most likely to earn combine call-ups? That's a good one. So I, mean, it, I, have, I have a name immediately. Tevin Brown? Tevin Brown? Not Tevin Brown. Uh, well, it's, I, I, I'd like to say Jordan Hall, but his game isn't necessarily like what I think. Five on five, getting up and down is going to play to that too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm going to. Oh, I'm trying to like figure out who yours is going to be now. I think I'm going to go with Tevin Brown as, as my call up, as my, as my first one that like stands out. Yeah, mine is Kevin McCuller. Um Yeah, Kevin McCuller like just immediately stands out as I don't know how he doesn't get an invite if to a 76 person yeah. combine. Right. What are we doing here? Like he's one of the best perimeter defenders in this draft class. There are rumors he can shoot. I want to see it before <laughs> I really. There's rumors. Yeah. You know. Well, it was funny. Shoot. So, um, Edie Webb, who is good at evaluating prospects and yeah. everything like that. Uh, he said, ah, workout season, mixtape season and big board season. Remember the May mantra workouts don't mean anything unless they do. Right. <laughs> Like workouts yeah, don't mean I'm, anything. Shooting shooting videos don't mean anything unless they do, right? Yeah, um, I'm I'm, I'm kind of getting there too. 
like I, I almost want to like close my eyes during the next month and and not look. But I always look. I always look at the videos and say, "Ooh, it looks a little cleaner coming off his hand." And you're in an empty gym, and the world is full of practice players. But if it, if there's still more there, and he was kind of limited offensively by scheme, yeah, that's that's intriguing to me. Uh, looking looking here too is I just think guard dominated. Like JD Note is going to get his shots. Like if he puts up twenty a game, like he's going to get like the call to go up. Marcus Sasser, if he's healthy, that's that's a really good name too. Marcus Sasser is another really good one. I just kind of popped him onto my big board because I didn't totally know what to do with him, and honestly, I kind of thought he would go back. But Marcus Sasser is a really good one because he defends and he can really shoot it. Yeah, those are good names. I actually really like this group too. It's it's intriguing. It's kind of like all over the place, like really old, like some younger guys. I was surprised that John Butler got a, a a real combat invite before this one. That would have been one that I, I'd like to to track. But yeah, I think those. I mean, those look, if we're star. inviting seventy six guys, I have John Butler at seventy six, so <laughs> I'm not surprised. Um, John Butler is a fascinating prospect, absolutely, for a number of reasons physically, which is why I'm not surprised he got a combine invite. Like, I'm sure teams want to see what that looks like in like an NBA setting against NBA athletes, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kevin McCuller is the guy that just stands out immediately to me. Hyunjin Lee, like if he goes like eight for 10 from three in one of these games in 20 minutes, like he's very gonna possible. Some, he's going to need some sets drawn up though. He's not like a, Hey, his dribble yeah. hand off like a boogie. Like it's going to have to be a, a down screen, a pin down, something for him to come off. He's just, he's so upright. He's so stiff. Like he's not gonna be able to take it off the bounce. Yeah. And in that vein, like Baylor Shireman's a guy that can maybe do a little bit more off the bounce um, and create a shot as an elite shooter. So yeah. maybe he's someone, and plus he's a good spot up shooter. Like maybe he's someone that could get an invite. Yeah. Um, trying to think if there's anyone else. I don't know. The thing it's, is, like, there is. I like the Sasser also- one, and I like I like Jared Roden too. I, I think that just his toughness, like he's he's someone that will play well at that combine setting. Yeah. Vince Williams, got a chance to. Vince Williams is a good one. Okay. Let's see. We've got a lot of questions now. Okay. Let's go with let's go with this one. Okay. What have you taken from last year's draft in your evaluations, which makes you think differently uh, about players from this year's draft? This is from Stevie Grieve. Ooh, differently? I really, I think even just more so fit in in how that works with with an actual team and not necessarily like best player available. So like, I don't think my board would change, but kind of like what I think my mock draft, I'd, I'd form it more toward. Okay, Denver's picking this. This fits what they already have on the table versus you know, what Atlanta looks for, what Cleveland looks for, what they already have in the cupboard. I, I, I probably fell victim to that in the past of just ranking guys who who I think as opposed to like this is what would work for the board. And we do a. Hopefully, we'll do a mock draft of after this, too, of, okay, Portland selecting. Who would you take as Portland as opposed to, like, who would Sam Vecini yeah. take there? So, in my case, it's that it's something I've struggled with in the past as an evaluator. It's that small guards are just so hard to fit. Yeah. Uh, like, I had Sharif Cooper in the 20s last year. He fell to 48, mm-hmm. right? Um I, I liked Jawan Evans the year he was at Oklahoma State, uh, that, like going back, right? Like it, it can be a bit of a weakness in regard to like how I evaluate players. And 
it's just really fucking hard to be six foot tall and play in the NBA. Well, what's like, what's kind of like your short guard cutoff then? Because that's an important part of it too. Because we'll get the measurements at the combine, which is great. But we won't, despite I think Shreve Cooper is listed at like six foot five or something or six. Remember that came out? It's like, oh, he grew. It's like, no, they did it wrong. Yeah. Like, what are we? So doing is here? your cutoff like six two? Is it sub six? I don't feet? know, but it, but if because you my, look the, at my board, yep. it's. Like I have nobody that is currently listed under six foot one or no, I've no one listed under six foot three in the top 29 of my board. And then is Kenny Chandler 30th. I have Kennedy Chandler 30th. Yep. Yeah. So, and then I have John Montero super late. Like John Montero is the one that I'm actually pretty worried about in this regard. Um, I think Kennedy is tough enough and defends at a high level enough to where it's going to be fine. John Montero is the one where it's like, oh, the defense just really might not be good enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that's it. I think it's that it's just really fucking hard to be six foot to six foot two and play in the NBA. Unless you shoot it like Darius Garland, and then we can yes, re, we can rediscuss. So my point is like, there's always like yeah. that outlier guy, and I'm I'm with you totally. Like I I think I have Kenny yeah. Chandler a few spots lower. Montero lower in that range. I'm always hesitant for smaller guards and going to to watch Reef Cooper in the G League this year in Atlanta showed a lot of really good things, but turning that corner and pick and roll and and being met by multiple guys who are six eleven with seven foot two, three wingspans, it's it's a different game. Okay, from Greg Casoli. Did you all know that Jalen Suggs was a quarterback in high school? <laughs> I did. I I'm, I'm so disappointed, and I don't say draft Twitter, and maybe we'll get some of these like dusted off takes. But like, I'm a little disappointed we haven't got more of the talk about Johnny Davis being quarterback, about Paulo Bancaro being quarterback. Uh, <laughs> Scoot Henderson played football, I'm sure. Anthony Edwards played football. It's it's a common trait uh, among elite athletes. And don't specialize. Don't specialize in sports. That's a, that's a good thing to say too. Growing up, play everything. Do everything. Okay, this is from Chase Peterson. This is funny. Would you rather run the Sacramento Kings with complete freedom or run the Lakers, but you have to hire Mark Jackson as your coach and keep him around however long he likes? Um, I'm going to sidestep this one a little bit, but just for freedom, I'm going to go to Sacramento. We got time. We got a few pieces. Yeah. We got a, a good draft pick or two. Let's just go to Sacramento and rock out. The answer is always is someone that like would be making decisions. It's always freedom. I'm skeptical that you would ever have that freedom Choose in freedom. Sacramento. Shawshank Redemption, get out. But freedom, yes. Um, okay, those are the best ones. Uh, let's see here. Let's see here. Uh, that was awesome. What do you guys think of Jalen Williams? Why is he not a consensus first round pick? Which Jaylen one? Santa Clara. Santa Clara. I have him as a first round pick. Yeah, I do too. I'm 25th. I talked about him a lot as a first round pick. Here's one from Bradley Pearson. Best pure shooter in the 2022 NBA draft. I think we answered this one too. It's still Jabari Smith for me. Yeah, I agree. I think that the best shooting prospect in this class is Jabari Smith. Let's remove Jabari because I think it becomes a more interesting question if we do that on some level um best pure shooter outside of jabari smith i mean we'll get killed if we don't say aj griffin just like the numbers at least point to him but i don't know if i'd necessarily i'm I'm hedging i don't know if i'd necessarily say that he's the guy but he's statistically the guy for sure yeah i I would say aj griffin as well 
um just in terms of the way that the shot will translate and it's been good at every level like it's not just this year at duke like he's been a great shooter at every single level at this point um I think AJ is the right answer if you remove Jabari Smith. Okay. Um, from Anamani Black, who got a uh, got a question on last week as well. Wow. Closest Herb Jones comp for this year. Outstanding college defender who can transition best uh, to that side of the ball of the pros. Uh, this is like the the Kevin McCuller hour, right? Isn't he probably? I think like McCuller is an interesting pick here. I don't know if I'd go that quite that far at this point, but yeah, I, I think McCuller is a good one. Oh, well, just more of like fits sort of what that is. We're just diving, like we're trying to find the answers to the, this test, and we've like been studying for months. I still don't know some of these. Like off the top, think of like how many yeah. drafts off the top of your head you couldn't say who's the top shooter. Go, like probably this one. Who's the top defender that can be Herb Jones? Go. It's so much harder, and that's why. That's why this is going back to you. So the combat has 76 names. That's why the, the G League camp is 40. Nobody really knows. We're, we're still trying to like figure out what that is. Yeah. Which is I, I think you're right. Film we've watched and games we've watched yeah. and people we've talked to. Yeah. Look, I, I think McCuller honestly is not a bad bet here. Like I, I, I don't, I would answer this way. I don't think there's a Herb Jones in this class, no. but in like, I loved Herb Jones. I've said it many times. Like I, Loved him pre-draft. We talked about him a lot last year as a guy that I loved. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's a guy this year. Okay. Oh, let's see here. What do we got? What do we got? Okay. Here's here's one for you from Michael Ra. Let's hear Penny brag about the prospects on the Under Armour circuit with the highest upside playing 17U right now. Ooh, bragging. Uh, the first one was Kerry Booth, who's uh, Callan Booth from the Denver Nuggets' son. He's six foot ten, six foot eleven, long, active, putting it all together, can shoot it, has really good balance. But it's all new. It's just going to take time. He's going to need to develop. He'll get there. But I, I've really liked what he showed the first weekend, the second weekend. All the big boys, the the bluest of blue bloods, came out. wasn't as good. So it's going to be a, a developmental project. But I like him a lot, and I'm always a sucker for NBA bloodlines. Uh, the other guy or two that I like, I like Stefan Castle from Atlanta Express. Really strong guard at six foot five. He's committed to UConn. Can get downhill and he finishes. It's not just like the bully and throw it up there. It's the bully has some touch, can shoot a little bit. Third guy I'll mention is El Marco Jackson from We Are One. He's played really well. The team lost in the spring championship. Six three, six four, uh, explosive guard has been way better coming off of pick and rolls, getting up and down on the break finding his teammates, he, he's taken a major leap too. So those are kind of the three guys I think have, have stuck out the most to me in our first two sessions. This one from Simon Rath. Would you rather never eat pizza again or never drink alcohol again? Oh, you can have the booze. Uh, I'll have pizza forever. That's an easy yeah, one for me. <laughs> oh, you're thinking about it. For me. Do you, are you like a weird pizza guy? Like you don't like it or it has to be specific? I, I just oh, no, I love pizza. pizza. Okay. Yeah. I just also occasionally need a drink. Um, I would say I would rather never drink again. I think. Yeah. I think I'm with you on that. I think I would rather never drink again than never eat pizza again. That's that's um, a tough one. Simon always has good ones too. It's like what's that's your, a really good what, one. What's your favorite fruit juice? Or like, is there more wheels or doors? That, that was going around the internet for a while. Was it wheels or windows? I don't know it's one of those. I, I can. Is wheels or out. doors? Yeah. That's and and tying it back to the draft as we always do. NBA teams will ask like weird questions like that during the interviews too. They'll be in a room and be like, how many golf balls can fit in this room? Because they want to think 
see you think about like, well, if somebody fit here and space and time, and don't know how that translates to basketball, but the questions are asked. Two really good questions here. Three, three. Here's a third comment from Zach Park. Big fan of the pod. Matt Penny is my third favorite Zoom ass player of all time. I'm not reading the second part of that question. He is, he is such a troll. Shout out Go Matt ahead. Penny. Uh, from Kingbish79. Hello, Sam. If you believe NBA Twitter, there are approximately 90 guys getting drafted at the end of the first round. Is there any yes. truth to this? A, a yes. lot. <laughs> there are. There are. Yeah. But that's, that's yeah. sort of what. I think agents are, are going through too, and sometimes they'll—I don't want to say lip service, but overpromise a little bit. But there, there's just so much variability uh, at the end of the first. Uh, you could go completely super young, or you could go like older, more seasoned guys. You could split the difference. Uh, just a lot in the air, and this is like as I, I'm prepared, but I'm also—it's like when you have a kid, like you're ready but not prepared. It's like that for the draft. I don't know what's going to happen. We never know, but we have like a sense. This thing could like go off the rails by pick nine, and I wouldn't be. Oh, it's going like, surprised. To. It's by going it. to. Yeah, like that. Like that's if Jeremy Sohan goes like six, would you be like, "Oh my god, like what's happening?" No. I'd be like, "All right, yeah, maybe get it." Defense, yeah, like Dyson Daniels. Yeah, like uh, Chris Anstey asked me yesterday when I was doing that show. You know, shout out to Chris; he's the best. But like, Chris asked me like, "How high? Like, what is Dyson's ceiling as a draft prospect?" And I was like, honestly. If we're talking pure ceiling and someone went nuts and he measures it like six, seven and a half without shoes at the combine, like if he went like six, I would not be surprised. But you probably like, also would be surprised if he went like 26th. I'd be surprised if he went 26th. I wouldn't be surprised if he went like 20th. Oh, God. Yeah. This, is, yeah, this is our relationship in a nutshell. But the point is like he could get to the 20s. It wouldn't be like this is insanity. Yeah. Um, from Adam Spinella. Shout out, Adam. I love Spence. Adam just the best human being he's gonna ask um, me something analytically that i don't know the answer to no he's not what's worse being stung by a thousand bees or the wrath of the kai sato army in youtube <laughs> comment land so i keep my head down i don't do youtube videos uh i've never tweeted about kai soto i know he has a contingent of people who are very vocal he on does. social media i've seen kai soto when he played with a skill factory at a prep school event a couple of years ago when he was a senior. So my quick Kai Soto story, it was a little murky whether or not he was actually going to be college eligible because he like played professionally in the Philippines. There was some, there was some like murkiness to it, right? So a uh, rankings person, friend of mine, just put it on a tweet like, Kai Soto, great performance, not eligible for college, but will be great at the pro level. And his mentions just went... Like, that's wrong. His phone started blowing up. Like, the league office called. It's uh, whatever support system he has. Like The league office called? It was like, let me rephrase. It was like somebody within the NBA, the the writer, reporter had to call and be like, is he actually eligible for college? Because, like, I said he took a visit, but is he going? Like, no, he's not going to be playing college. But people are so, like, set on him being a, a pro and a lottery pick that, I don't know if trying to speak into existence, but if you post a video on him or if you say anything negative, like they're coming, like they're coming after you. So pass. This is uh, <laughs> this is your answer. Probably the beast things. Yeah, like uh, he's going to get NBA draft workouts. I know that like teams will bring him in and we'll see how it goes is my take on it. Like when I he played for the Adelaide 36ers this year, he was over here. I don't know. Like I wasn't 
wildly impressed. Like, I, I think he doesn't really have a chance defensively. He has real offensive tools for being that big. Like, he can really, um, really shoot the ball and he can, mm-hmm. uh, drive a little bit, like, despite being that tall. But yeah. I just did not see anything defensively that made me think he can play. But he's like a, he's a real pro prospect, like, for sure. Well, good, I just don't know. Mid post, can face up a little bit, has a soft touch, yeah. can take one, like, drop step and dunk and do stuff like that. I was always worried about kind of the conditioning, getting up and down, and then defensively when they they pull him out there into pick and roll coverages. Offense is there. I don't. I don't know if he's an NBA player right now. I'll duck down as I say that. Yeah, like it, it just comes down to being able to defend at the NBA level. I, I he has real offensive skill. Like I'm not gonna yeah like talk shit about that side of the floor. Like I think he can actually really make an impact yeah. in that regard. Like he has a chance to shoot it at a level uh, that is good it's just that like i am very skeptical on the defense because i worry about him like being able to like bend and slide on the perimeter with opposing people as well as or opposing players as well as like being able to protect the rim at a reasonable level so yeah i don't know we'll, we'll see but uh, look he's gonna get like real nba draft workouts and have a chance to move up the board and we'll see where it goes i think is kind of where i'm at on it i'm I, i'm not ruling him out by any <laughs> stretch i think i say i'm not ruling out beast things yet i'm skeptical (laughs) (laughs) penny tell the people where they can find you Um, i'm on twitter matter score penny and back here what under a week right are we a week away when's the lottery 17th yeah something like that so well 17th in in america i don't know if that is in in australia 16th 18th i don't think it's a seven so yeah i'll be back uh back here doing that but find me on twitter best way to find me okay uh i wrote a thing earlier this week with alex schiffer on the brooklyn nets and their young guys and their draft last year where they selected five players uh i am writing a thing with fred katz for next week on the new york knicks and some of their young guys and some of their potential draft uh prospects that they could look at some of the guys that would be interesting to the knicks potentially Keep it locked here on the podcast. I will have another pod coming up this weekend on the playoffs. And then Penny and I on Tuesday in the United States in the evening, we will do a live mock draft show, uh, live lottery, post lottery reaction thing where we will literally be going like you will be able to watch us live on YouTube, basically. Um talking after the lottery ends and after I file my mock draft to the athletic. So I don't get fired. Please don't fire me athletic. Um, But keep it locked here. And until next time we will talk soon.